All right, we're going to get going here. Hopefully you are all in possession of the notes. I have to do two lessons in 40 minutes, so we're probably going to have to minimize the questions this morning. If, if it's that important, you can raise your hand, and then I may or may not be able to answer. Let me get my timer up. This will help me stay on track. All right. Lesson three should be the first page of your notes. We think about uh, corporate worship, so we're, now we're going to talk through um, ways we fulfill our mission, ways we do what we're supposed to do. And so we're going to talk about um, different ministries within the church, different ways in which you can be involved, different ways in which um, you can live your life for the glory of God within the context of the assembly um, in some ways, you would think of through this as, as programming. Like, this is, this is the kind of structures that we do at Crossway that aren't necessarily biblical structures, all of them, but they're ways of us doing what God's Word tells us to do. So, the first one's a little more directly biblical. The, some of the others, you know, like small groups, is an application of, of what Scripture calls us to do. It's not necessarily uh, a New Testament mandate that you have small groups. It is a New Testament mandate that you teach instruct and edify and gather, and so some of these are applications of those. So the primary purpose of our Sunday morning, and I would add in there Sunday night, if you're handwriting, you can add that, are to gather as a body of believers to do what? Ooh, someone said something that was right on. Worship God together and edify is what I have, but yeah, that's right, right on there, Heidi. Um, so, so in other words, we could say, and, and often you'll, you'll see me do something like this with my hands, like we have a, a vertical element and we have a horizontal element. Uh, every once in a while, you'll, you'll interact with people who will only consider one or the other. So you have, you know, kind of, I, I think in some ways, like the seeker-sensitive model has just this driving horizontal consideration. Like the primary thing a seeker-sensitive philosophy would have is what pleases people. And then sometimes you have this, maybe, maybe you'd sense this in an old-fashioned church, but you have um, probably the clearest example of this is like the Latin mass in the Catholic church in the Middle Ages where no one knew Latin, where there's this, such a strong desire to be sacred that you, you don't do any good to anyone in the room. Uh, and and uh, yeah, a lot of people don't. Um, but, but I think I think when you look, for instance, in Colossians 3 or Ephesians 5, you see a real clear example, example where we sing to each other, making melody in their hearts to the Lord. That is, there is both a, we, we are teaching, instructing, and admonishing one another in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, and we do this as we make melody within our hearts to the Lord. So it's clearly a verbal expression, but spirit, the spiritual act of worship is, is also vertical. So it's primarily for believers. That is, we gather corporately for believers, not for unbelievers. Which means it is a gathering of believers. Um, by the way, this is the, all these notes predate COVID. So this is not like, oh, yeah, the government tried to stop us, so now we're going to put it in our notes. Um, if you look in the New Testament... It has been the habit of the church to gather, even under severe oppression and threat of persecution. Uh, the church in China, which is generally speaking an underground church, gathers. They gather in small groups. They do so under threat of loss of life and property, and they still gather. Um, it's about worshiping God. Uh, so often the, the primary questions on the front of our minds when we consider churches are about um, considerations of how much we enjoy something or whether or not it's comfortable for us or, frankly, even whether or not the people are friendly. Now, I want to be a friendly church. I hope that we have a comfortable environment so that, like, for instance, we have cushions on the chairs and we interact with one another in such a way that it's pleasant. But some of those things are fairly superficial, if we're honest. I mean, would you not come to church if they just had hard pews? And if that's all it took for you not to come, then perhaps you need to recalibrate your values. Um, so it's about worshiping God, and it includes a horizontal element. 
So that's our, that's our Sunday morning and our Sunday night. I would add, if it's, we're talking about Sunday night, that we also include a strong emphasis on prayer. Uh, by design, we want Sunday night to be uh, focused on strengthening your walk with the Lord by praying together, studying scripture together. And so there's a little bit more of a focus on participation on Sunday night than maybe Sunday morning. Um, even Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. If you just take those first two commands, there's strong implication that you throughout your life should be evaluating how to help someone else around you grow in Christ. Right? Let us consider. Consider what? How to stir up. How to provoke. So, so provocation is something that people do all the time. You get like a little kid playing with a dog, and they'll, they'll kind of pull their ears and grab their hair, and it'll provoke the dog to snap at them. Right? That's provocation. Except here, we are deliberately considering how we can stir up to provoke one another to cause a response of love and good works in another person. You don't do that accidentally. That's why he says consider it. Evaluate how to do this. And then he says don't neglect meeting together. So we have a direct command not to abandon meeting together. So you should do it regularly. You should do it faithfully even if you don't feel like it or don't enjoy uh, some of the challenges that um, you have to overcome in order to get to the gathering. All right, so ministries in the church. I include 1 Peter 4 here because I think it's so helpful for me um, as you consider spiritual giftedness and as a, a leader who's trying to disciple others to serve the Lord. I think often we can misunderstand the spiritual gifting God gives to his church. So it says, as each has received a gift, how many people are gifted? Each is an individualizing word, so it's, it's not like an all, like among us, we're gifted. It's that each one of you, if you're a believer, has a spiritual gift. And if you're like the majority of Christians I know, you have no idea what your spiritual gift is. That it's very common for people to not recognize quickly that they are actually gifted at something. Uh, we don't have time to belabor the point of how to evaluate giftedness, but if I were to simply say, get in, work hard, love and serve one another, and trust the church to help move you. Um, I'm pretty aware that I am not gifted to sing. If I did sing, someone would pull the microphone away. Probably they would start by turning the volume down. You know, so I would be singing my heart out up there, and no one would be damaged by hearing me because they'd have that mic on silent. Um, you know, and and. Eventually, you know, maybe Caleb just stopped scheduling me so often, and pretty soon he's like, you know, Mark, we really just aren't putting you in the schedule very much. You might want to consider getting involved in something else that would be a better use of your time. The church will do, and those are hard conversations for spiritual leaders to have, but we should expect that. We should expect the church to help move us, and we should be thick-skinned and reasonable enough to be moved. I mean, if you're in our greeting ministry, our first impressions ministry, and you have bad hygiene, and it's pretty apparent, and your breath is obnoxiously horrible, you know, perhaps, I mean, we could challenge you on hygiene, but maybe we should just not put you at our front gate. And, and at, some, you know, at some stage of the game, I mean, if every child is screaming bloody murder when you approach, we don't want you in our nursery. And, and we, should, we should recognize that, according to this text, that's actually the obligation that you and I have. Look again at the text. Use your gift to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace. So God gives a variety the oracle of gifts, a variety of graces. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. You see how he gives us two categories to think in? There are talkers and there are doers. Kind of a Mary Martha type of divide where one is, one is a, a strength needed, one is a content needed. So teaching ministries are speaking ministries where content needs to be God's content. But people who come, let's say Saturday and clean, the Bible indicates God is supplying that strength. Maybe even the, the strength to get up early on a Saturday, when exhausted, when tired, show up, 
work hard and faithfully and do so knowing that it is only by God's grace that you get it done. Um, I wonder if sometimes we, we don't rely on the grace of God, whether it is to speak the oracles of God or to serve with the strength God supplies because we just do it in our own strength and we stop well short of what we should be doing sacrificially. So we're asked to teach, and we're like, oh, man, I don't know if I have enough time. Well, why, why don't you have enough time? If God supplies grace, I mean, I would assume, like, throughout the scriptures, that grace comes as you serve, not preemptively. It's not as though you get a bank account of a lot of grace, and you're like, you know what, now I can teach. Your bank account's always going to look like zero. And you go and you step forward, and God supplies the grace as you work for him. So um, looking at that, though, helps me think through ministries in the church. So I've kind of separated them this way. We have word ministries. So those are, are focusing on they, they need to speak the content of God's word, the oracles of God, I think is what it means. Small groups, they're designed to facilitate one another ministry in the context of gospel-centered community. I think that's a good way to get involved and engage within the church family to know one another. During the summer, we usually take kind of a, an official pause. I know some of those small groups will still be connecting and still be meeting with one another. Caleb Lawson is the ministry leader, so if you want to get more involved, if you want to host, if you want to teach, if you want to go to one of these, Caleb Lawson would be the point person. Equipping hour. The purpose of this ministry is to offer an interactive instructional format where believers can be equipped. Yes, I was really challenging, fill in the blank there. Equipped for the Christian life. It happens Sunday mornings at 9. That's what we're doing right now. And generally, it's, it's a classroom format, something like this. Most often throughout the year, we'll have two, sometimes three, and occasionally one class. Um, so that happens from 9 to 9.45 by schedule. Um, we have men and women's ministries. Uh, you can see the uh, current people who are kind of um, the point person for instruction. In fact, I don't know exactly what is happening with guys guns and God, and I probably got the order wrong, probably God, guys, and guns, I don't know. But it sounds like it's supposed to be spiritual, it's just for guys, and it's including shooting. So I'm just saying, powers of deduction there, that's what I'm going with. Um, But we want you involved in those, we want you involved with other people, Um, but particularly I think sometimes um, when we look at, like for instance, Titus, you see that those ministries that men are leading men and women are leading women, I think that assumes that there's not only different demographic needs, but that there's particular ministry that's supposed to be happening for which the other gender isn't qualified. And so older women are called to teach younger women, particularly how to love their husbands and to be good caretakers at their homes. Uh, Young adults ministries, we call this Good News Project. Um, Roman and Hillary Jane have been leading that for the last several years, and that meets on Monday nights. It's generally, like, think generally college age, but Technically speaking, um, I think it's supposed to be 18 to 25 to 27. What'd you say? 17 to 25. I just heard the seven. I was like, that didn't make any sense. Okay, so 17 to 25. Um, Youth group is grades 7 to 12. And Paul Harmon and David Sellens are the primary points of contact there. If you'd like to work in the youth ministry or, in fact, are that age, we'd like you involved in that. That's pretty standard among most churches to have uh, youth groups. Um, We will probably, in the coming months, change that to 6th grade. So it'll be 6th, 7th, 8th, and then 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th. And then children, four years to 6th grade. Um, Juliana does equipping hours, so right now your children would be in classes if you have them, or if you want to teach in them, you would want to talk to Julie. Uh, Those classes meet year-round, and those teachers are fairly stable, so that is, um, if you teach, you teach basically for the whole year in that class. You get to really know the kids and minister among them. I think you would have a hard time displacing those teachers. They love teaching, um, and they love getting to know their classes and meeting with them on a weekly basis. Then uh, Jacob Jordan will be leading the uh, kids' worship or the kids' church. That's happening. Um, I think officially he takes over next week. So your word, 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 I mean, this document is up to date. So, actually, it's a little predated, but, um, and then Colin Lewis does Sunday night. We call it Little Theologians with our kids, uh, basically the same age group. 
So if you want to get involved in those ministries, those are the people you need to talk to. But this is also, I know some of you are regulars here. You might not know some of this is happening. Can I encourage you to pray for these ministries? I mean, when the, last, the last three ministries, Good News, Youth Group, and the Children's Ministries, all on a regular basis have unbelievers who are being ministered to. Some of them are your own children. And so at the least, we should be praying for the Spirit of God to enliven the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit to bring salvation to these precious children, teens, and, and young people. All right, serve ministries. These are the ones that I would think, generally speaking, your ministry is not with the words you speak, but with the effort you put in. So nursery, I've said a lot about nursery um, later or, or earlier uh, in the last couple of weeks, but um, if we have the laborers we currently have signed up for nursery working regularly, it's not, it's not such a deep burden. Um, you work about once a month in the nursery. That's our goal. Um, music ministry, you all get to see that. I would say the challenge with music ministry is a lot of people will want to work in the music ministry. If you do talk to Caleb, the challenge being we, we have a fairly limited, I mean, you only have one person playing the piano at the same time, generally speaking. So we have a little bit of a rotation there. But if you would like to, and if you're gifted in these things, please talk to Caleb. Facility cleaning on Saturdays. Our team comes in. Fu and Jeff are the leaders there, and they'll come in. Do you have those guys in the room? How long does it take Fu usually on a Saturday morning to clean? So you're actually not looking at a big obligation of time. And some of you are, are not wanting to be seen. You don't like to be up front. If I said, hey, could you come up front and open us in prayer? You would want to say no, but feel guilty for doing it. Um, so you'd probably say yes and then not like me for doing it. Saturday morning might be a great place for you to serve. If, if it's such a, um, a small sacrifice, but still a sacrifice on a Saturday morning to get up early, that might be your one sleep-in day. So giving it up is a rich gift to the Lord. Uh, talk to Fu or Jeff. I think it's a one-month rotation. So you work a month of Saturdays, and then you're off. And then you, you know, like, so you'll work May, then you'll work July, then you'll work September. So you're not even locked down for all year. You're, you're doing six months with every other month rotation. And if we get a lot of volunteers, I bet that will move to every third month. So it's really not a heavy uh, sacrifice. But it is a sacrifice to get and clean and have to, you know, um, clean up the mess, and sometimes on events, you know, you're, there's more expected. Hospitality, we call this first impressions. Uh, Don Greenfield and Timmy uh, Collins, he, he works with the ushers, and they both kind of facilitate Sunday morning, especially with our guests coming in and coming in in an organized fashion. So often that table out there where you can get uh, the program for the day, you can get the sermon notes. If you're a guest, you'll get directions to our nursery and our kids' programs, and we're all of the time trying to strengthen how this works so that it's an effective way to introduce you to the church. Um, but we want servants who welcome, inform, and serve for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Um, there's a spiritual component to this. If you're looking for a new church, odds are you're, you're either new to the community and you could use the warm welcome, you're spiritually in, in a place of distress, and you may not be a regular church person, but you're going to a place you know has help. Or you are transitioning out of a church, and that is its own painful process. And so I, I look at our first impressions as really having an opportunity. I know I didn't hit like every possible category of a person coming through, but I just think that first impressions has an opportunity to offer such a gracious welcome and, and make you comfortable if any of you are a little bit introverted, I feel this way when I'm in new places. I'm incredibly uncomfortable when I'm uncertain. I can remember going to a church and they had their worship service on the front end and their equipping hour on the back end of the Sunday morning service. And my wife and I came in and we enjoyed the worship. We knew that. It was on the website. And, and when the service ended, we kind of looked at each other and said, well, is that all there is? And as far as we knew, it was all there was. And yes, we said hi to a couple people and left. And we came back to that church like four weeks later, and we found out that their equipping hours afterwards, that we had left before their equipping hour. No one told us. We had no idea. They never announced it. No one ever told us. And we're like, oh, there was more to it. We could have stayed. That would have been so fun. And, and just we didn't know. And just kind of like, you know, go to the parking lot, and you realize no one else is there. And you're like, oh, they're just like talking, I guess. But there was more going on. We didn't know. So our first impressions does that. And I, I know Don does a good job. 
you know, I'll often get an email like, hey, you know, Susie Q and John came in. Uh, they're going through some hard things and they're looking for a new church and the team will be informed. And I would love to see um, just a sweet spirit of spiritual encouragement and prayer together by that team for those guests that come in. If that interests you, talk to Don Greenfield. If you like helping people get organized and move into the auditorium well, Timmy Collins does the ushering and they do a lot of the facility help there. So we have fellowship events. Um, and, and I'm going to put evangelism here. So today we have a fellowship event. It's actually in there, family picnic in May. So this afternoon at 5 o'clock, we all gather. And, and our, our goal there is to spend time with one another. If you, like me on a Sunday morning, find that you get into a handful of conversations, but there's always people you're like, you know, I feel like I haven't ever said hi to them like in six months. Family picnic is a great opportunity to mingle. And because there's no assigned seating, like there is on a normal Sunday morning, then you're going to talk with different people. You know how it is, right? Like, we are such creatures of habit that, like, a family picnic breaks it up. It's a totally different environment. And, and during the course of something like that, sometimes you get locked into uh, spending the afternoon with a family that you don't get to spend time with very often. It's great, and you don't mingle a ton. And sometimes you mingle a lot just because of the nature of the event. That's on purpose. And, and it's also, if you have people you're trying to connect with, sometimes these events, they're kind of low-key they're a little less structured, and they're a little less intimidating than coming to a service. And so it might be an opportunity for you to bring someone else, um, whether it's this type of event today, Family Picnic, or Harvest Fest that has a little more of a, um, a festival feel, um, where you know kids and families might feel a little more welcome because it's culturally so normal. It gives an ability for us to kind of open the front door of our church and, and welcome people. And, and hopefully and can be used by you as an opportunity to reach others. So evangelism, to one degree or another, happens in almost all of these ministries we discussed. I think when you look in 1 Corinthians 14, he makes it clear that in the context of a worship service that's about believers, that often there are unbelievers in the middle of the gathering. But the design of that, if you read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, um, I, th I think in its context, is that this is a Christian service where unbelievers might be present. So I, I think that's true of us. On a Sunday morning, it's mostly believers. It's designed for believers. We're worshiping God, but there might be among us a, a person who does not know Christ as Savior. That person, we want them to come to know Christ. We want to share the gospel with them. But that type of uh, formula is true in small groups. It's mostly Christians, it's mostly church, but every once in a while someone brings a neighbor, a friend, or, or a family member, and they're not saved. Uh, so we want to make sure that we're gospel-centric in how we do our ministries. That is, the gospel is always kind of the theological epicenter of the ministries of the church. But our biggest evangelistic ministry is actually the day-to-day -day lives and conversations of our church family. So that long, kind of poorly spaced blank there, the day-to-day -day lives of our people. In other words, programs at best are a structure that allows the gospel to be given. But our most effective, and I think our New Testament pattern for evangelism, is not events like VBS, as, as helpful as they can be. It's you. It's you sharing the gospel with friends and family. It's you talking to a neighbor and seeing in that conversation an opportunity to speak about Christ and doing so. I think sometimes, and, and frankly, traditionally within the church environments, the church as an organization sets up structures and we call them evangelistic. I don't think that's actually the New Testament pattern. I don't want to say it's horrible because I'm, I'm not opposed to it, but I think the New Testament pattern is that evangelism actually happens by people, not event. It's people, not programs, that actually lead others to Christ. It is the preaching of the gospel through the mouth of a faithful mother, a little theologian's worker who's following up with parents who brought their kid, or even the preaching ministry of the church itself. It's the mouths of God's people who share the gospel. So that means you. That means me. That means our personal lives need to be gospel-giving, um, uh, formatted lives. Okay, lesson four. I know you guys didn't think I'd get through lesson three and even start four, so this is a small victory so far. Okay, so my sermon this morning will actually reinforce this a little bit. Um, so 
We look in lesson one, gospel identity, or excuse me, the gospel number two, identity number three, structure. That's what we just went through. We talked about the ministries that we're doing here at our church. But with, with number four, I find the frequent need to define and defend membership. The reason I have this need, I think, is, is um, I, I want to be uh, careful when I say this because it might sound unkind or arrogant, but there is a severe lack of clarity and theological commitments in most churches. And, and so I don't think there's a desire necessarily to displease God or a carelessness about pleasing God. I think, I think there's, um, there's multiple problems, but I just want to tease out for you why we have to do this. So it is very postmodern and current culture not to like authority, not to trust authority, and to not like the structures from which they come. So like, like clearest recent evidence of this in terms of culture is like a defund police movement. Now whether or not you think police have done a great job, the idea that we should defund them is just crazy. Does anyone want a world where there's no law enforcement? Like, what does that look like if we just get rid of law enforcement officers? Like, this is, but what it is, is, is you think about how we're primed for this, is, is we're told again and again that authorities are manipulative and powerful and dishonest. So who here trusts a pharmaceutical company? Who trusts the medical establishment? Who trusts a politician? Now, you're asking me, like, why I'm asking dumb questions in your mind. But the reality is, is that probably has more to do with where we are as a society. And I, I think, it, just to be honest, there, there is reason we don't trust them, and that is they're really not acting trustworthy. But at the same time, I think we need to be careful that we don't assume that that's why we don't trust them when our culture tells us not to trust anyone in power. I mean, that is essentially the whole woke movement and the neo-Marxist commitments of critical theory. So if I just said a whole bunch of gobbledygook that you don't understand, I can unpack that later. But critical theory basically says people in power keep their power by doing, by, by oppressing others, right? So what does that assume about people who are in power? How did they get there? They oppress. So what should we think about everyone in power? They're oppressors. Therefore, everyone in power is bad and not to be trusted. And I'm just telling you, we are all swimming in this soup. So the fact that you don't trust the medical establishment might be a byproduct of the fact that you are kind of templated as a conservative person. And then you drop yourself into the culture in which you don't trust anyone in power. And you flip over, you go on the left side, and you don't trust law officers. It just, we don't trust people in power, so then we come to the church, and the Bible talks about pastoral authority and church authority. Do people like that? So what do we do culturally? We reject anything that puts me under an authority officially. I mean, I feel that every time I do a wedding ceremony and I tell the bride she has to submit to her husband, I feel the cultural gasp of every lady under 30 in the room. Oh, I have gotten, like, like fiery laser beams of eyeballs. Like, how dare you say that about her from ladies in the, like the congregation when I'm doing a wedding? Like, it's, it's crazy, the visceral response against submission in our culture. So when you have a church in which, and we believe in, and agree with this in terms of commitments, because we believe in the priesthood of the believer, I do not believe you should, you should be coerced to join a church. I don't think I can make you, I don't think I should as a pastor even, make you submit to our church by coming into it by force. I don't, does that make sense? Like, I don't mean a Christian say, you must come to our church or you're sinning. Or if, if the Lord's clearly moving you out, I'm not going to say you must stay or you're sinning if it's righteous and clear in Scripture that you have the freedom to do so. So we believe there's some sense of Christian autonomy under God to live in clear conscience before our Savior. And that churches should not be constricting consciences, which is what we'd be doing if we say you have to join here. So with that freedom in mind, what we then do is we shop for churches that are not going to exercise authority 
And we don't like joining churches that have membership where that authority has structure. Honestly, this is one where I'm going to be a little bit plain here and by so doing harsh. That is from Satan. That is a cultural norm. Just to be clear, not the lack of membership, but the lack of desire to be under an authority is, is, is kind of an a evil response. The application on not having membership, I think, has to do with the, the cultural, I'll say it again, the cultural soup along with a little bit of biblical ignorance. And a third ingredient is that we read the New Testament as individuals, not as church persons. Who is the book of Ephesians written to? Not you as a person, a church. The letters written to people are letters like Timothy, which is written to Timothy. Okay, but he's still, who's Timothy? He's a pastor in the church in Ephesus. He's a, he's, he's, a, he's a churchman, and he's being written to as a churchman. This is like, then we read the book of Ephesians, and we read it as though we're disconnected from the church, and it's just written to me as an individual, free-floating, independent human. It wasn't. It was never written that way. These are gifts to churches. I guess Luke and Acts of Theophilus would be another one's written to a person that you might have missed in your minds. But generally speaking, we as, we as Christians have become cultural animals that need to be convinced of what is evident in the scripture. All of that to say, that's the introduction for the membership chapter, so now I am way behind my time. But I, I think it's so helpful for us to kind of unpack that. So I will get this question in almost every membership class I do. Basically, without this kind of gross statement, they'll say something like this. So what are the benefits of being a member? And I want to be like, this isn't Sam's Club. Okay, like, like this is not Amazon Prime, okay? You give us $120 and you get free shipping for the year. This is not how this works. The reality is membership is an expression of partnership and gospel community, and I am accountable to that body and its leadership and its authority structures. Okay, that's what membership is. You don't have to have a plastic card with a picture and a date on it to have a membership. It is an internal commitment. So what is a church? The church is the body of people in a particular location who profess faith in Christ and give evidence that they have been saved. At the end of the day, the church is gospel fellowship. That's what we are as people. We're, we're a gathering of people who all profess faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ and give evidence we're saved. What is the first piece of evidence we accept as a church? So we have them give their testimony, but the first piece of evidence would actually be their baptism. If you're not baptized, and I want to say this carefully because we have a couple of people getting baptized today, but if, if you're not baptized, there's no evidence you're saved. doesn't mean you're not, but the piece of evidence by which we say that's the type of ID card Christ actually tells the church to look for, it's obedience to the Lord by being baptized. I know that there are a couple people in our church who would like to join our church who aren't joining today, so we will just keep doing baptism services as long as there's people who are in the line who want to get baptized, and we can do it in good order. So if this is you and you need to be baptized, I want you to hear this clearly. The solution is not to be offended that I said it's the first piece of evidence. The solution is to get baptized. Okay, so if you need to get baptized, I would love to see you get baptized, and I would love to see you go through that process, so I'm glad you're here. Because our membership class is part of what we require for you to join the church so that you hear things like this. You're not just getting baptized as a submission to me. You're, you're seeing it as, a, as an evidence. Well, then, again, we would say we want to see that evidence of baptism, and that's not a piece of evidence we accept. So because we're a Baptist church, we talked about this with Baptist distinctives. Baptism is by immersion. By the way, I was just thinking about this last week. Someone asked me about baptism. You know, John the, Apostle, or John the Baptist baptized um, the disciples, I think it's uh, Acts 19, beginning of uh, Acts, and when Paul meets him, do you know what he does? Seems to indicate he rebaptizes them, right? And then they receive the Holy Spirit. So people ask me about, you know, like, well, well rebaptism. It's actually just your first baptism. Your first Christian baptism, I should say. Um, I don't know. I suppose you get baptized every time you get dunked in the pool. Just not Christian. 
well, right, my point was we define that back when we talk about what it means to be a Baptist, and I wasn't going to re-till that soil. Um, so why join a church? The New Testament presents membership in the church as necessary, or excuse me, as a necessary component of growth. So five reasons you need the local church. I'm going to go through this quickly. I think we've built the foundation here, so hopefully um, you understand where we're going. The church provides needed relationships. John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. The one another there is not your biological family. Who's the one another? It's other disciples. I mean, he's looking at the disciples. There's 12 of them there, and he's saying, well, actually, there's probably 11 at that point in the text. Um, and he's saying something like, love one another. They're not going like, oh, yeah, I need to love my wife. You, Peter's looking at John. He's looking at Bartholomew, and he's thinking, okay, i got to love these chumps. It's pretty obvious to him. We read the text, and we just like lose that context, and we're like, okay, I just need to love people. The context is believers. Okay? Um, we could read through these other ones. For instance, Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's not just love. It's that value and the weight of who they are in terms of commitments and burdens for their good drive my activity. All right, number two. The church strengthens assurance of salvation. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And just doing what God says is a sign that he's actually our Lord. And it gives us confirmation that our claim to faith is actually validated by living it out. The church offers accountability. By joining a church, we ask others to hold us accountable, to live as Christians, and if necessary, even to discipline us if we are not living faithfully. And I just, whether it's in a, a conversation or... You know, someone comes and challenges us about our behavior, the church offers accountability, even just this simple one, attendance. There are people who sit in your section on a regular basis who, when you miss a couple weeks, probably send you a text. And maybe if they don't, it's because you're the, you're the person kind of as the secretary of that small group. And, and if that... I mean, honestly, you probably know the 20, 40 people that sit in your section all the time better than you know people who never sit in your section. That's okay. But take a little ownership over your church and hold others accountable and encourage them and vice versa. Okay, the church identifies us with Christ. This, this group of people is called what? What are some metaphors the Bible uses to describe this group of people? We are the, of Christ. We're the bride of Christ, and we are also called the body of Christ. Both of those things, the of Christ means it's Christ's, right? He is the head of this body, and we are his bride. We are, we are in some ways, possessed by him, owned by him. And to be part of the church identifies us with him. It identifies us as, as I don't say part of his bride, but identifies us as his bride. So I don't look at myself as his bride. I look at us as his bride just to... Clarify what I was trying to say there. The church also uniquely glorifies God. In Ephesians 3, I think this is one of the most compelling passages. It's just like oh, a unique thought. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Rulers and authorities refers to angels. So it's through the church. God is displaying his manifold wisdom. So the angels are looking at us, and they're like, wow, God is so wise. I... I look in the mirror and I look at our church and I don't know exactly why angels are so astounded. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I mean, when you look around the room, what's so amazing about this? I think we miss some of the supernatural grace that God does. I mean, why are any of you saved? 
Why are any of you still in the marriage you're in? Why are you patient with your children when you want to not be patient? Why do you no longer watch those TV programs that corrupt your purity? Why do you ask for forgiveness when you did what felt right, but you recognized by Scripture it was sin? God is shaping you into the very glory of Christ, and angels are stunned by the manifold wisdom of God. So we want to make sure we get it right. We want to make sure we're walking in the gospel. I think that's just incredibly profound in terms of the importance of the church doing well. Okay, so here's some expectations. Skipping ahead a little bit. I think formal commitments are helpful, by the way. Uh, in fact, when you look at what the church does, if the church has to remove people from among their midst, there needs to be some kind of mechanisms for knowing who's in your midst. First uh, Timothy talks about widows are on a roster. They have to be 60. Their families are unable to care for them. They are godly. They've been faithful their whole lives. You know, so there's, there's a sense in which the New Testament clearly had a defined understanding of who was in and thereby could remove people or care for people who were actually qualified to be widows and served by the church family at large. All right, so biblical expectations. The body concept in 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that each person in the body of Christ is dependent on all others. So here's some specifics we expect here at Crossway, because I think they're biblical. We expect you to serve regularly. The church is not a place for consumers. It's a place for givers and servants. How can I so boldly say the church must be a place for servants? Because the Bible says that. Okay, Jesus himself actually says something like this. Whoever wants to be first must be says, even the Son of Man, who is the first of all of us, came to what? He did not come to serve, but he came to seek and save the lost and give his life a ransom for many. He gave himself as a servant for our sakes. He is our example. We take up our cross daily to follow after him, right? So I, I think the church has to be a place of servants, givers, those who care for others, we expect, and I think the Bible expects, you to attend regularly. Right? Be committed to the gathering. And I, I know, I, metaphor aside, I'm speaking to the choir. I mean, there's a reason you're here at 9 o'clock instead of just at 10.15, and we thank you for that. I encourage you, come Sunday nights when we have Sunday night services, although we're canceling for the summer. Come to small group, and as much as you're free and able, Make it to the ladies' Bible studies when you can. Come to the men's breakfast. Be faithful. I love our Friday morning study. I find that just so enjoyable to spend time with men. Uh, I'm, I'm encouraged on a regular basis by the wisdom and the godliness of the men I meet with on Friday mornings. And I think you would be too if you go to those types of groups, whether it's ladies' Bible study, uh, whether it's small group. Uh, literally, every church is filled with gifted people. So you should go, just to, just to experience the grace of God through their gifts. Pray regularly. I think this is one of those ones that can be anemic in any church because it's fairly quiet. Do you pray for our church? Do you pray for people within our church? Not just that, you know, they get out of the hospital because they experienced a heart attack last week or, you know, their Aunt Gertrude has a dog that's in the vet hospital and they're going to have to put down and Gertrude loves her dog. Are you praying for their spiritual wholeness, that they look like Christ, that they be strengthened in the inner person according to the power of God? Are you praying for the health of your church, that they would know and walk in the wisdom of his grace, to be fruitful in every good deed, filled with the knowledge of his will, thankful in all their works? Are you praying for your church? Okay, so we also, number four, give regularly. Believe it or not, this last week, we don't know exactly the nature of the hack, but someone has gotten into something in our church because many of you got a request for gift cards. That was not our intention to have you give to our church. We have no idea where that came from. How many of you got that email? Okay, so we did notice uh, it appears to be all women. I don't even have your emails, but some people got a letter this week from Mark saying, could you buy five $100 gift cards Take a picture, send me the backs of, you know, the, the picture of the back of them with the codes all scratched off. If you didn't catch that that was a scam, that was not me. 
I didn't get one of those letters. Um, but please just mark it as phishing so that Google will filter it out. Like, mark that as, as, as something bad. The good thing is, it seems like they only just have emails, which is relatively benign, but at the same time, um, for those of, those of our church who are sweet-hearted and um, maybe didn't have that, that radar pinged when they first saw that, thought they were coming to someone's rescue, and um, that's not how we raise giving in our church. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if, if I need your help, I'll probably give you a phone call, not an email that says, hey, I'll be unreachable for the next eight hours, so just get it done which is about what it did. So um, I apologize if that left, offered any, um, any of you kind of in distress, but I, I'm thankful for most of, most of you actually said, hey, Mark, I think you got hacked. <laughs> sent me the email or sent it to the secretary or something, so I appreciate that. All right, leaving. By the way, that was all just a segue to say, that's not how we want you to give. We want you to give because you worship the Lord, not because you're getting scammed. That was not our way to reach the matching funds and get our building paid for. That was a scammer. Um, you should give because you love the Lord, and he's worth giving to, and he's given to you everything you have. So giving back a portion as worship is just reasonable and good worship. All right, leaving, there are three ways, death, discipline, and transfer. We prefer you not to choose the first. Um, but it's, it's what, what a sweet thing that the church, from the moment you express faith in Christ, is your body, and to the moment we see you transition from this life into the presence of your Savior, our church is committed to walking with you, being at your graveside and ministering to your family when you're not there anymore. Um, so when you, when you transition to glory, we will no longer consider ourselves accountable for your spiritual health. We will hand that off to Christ, the sweet and great shepherd. Discipline is because you've sinned and you're holding on to sin and refusing to repent of clear sin. It's not about the the depth of the, the sin. In other words, it's not as though we only discipline people for immorality. It's really for the disinterest in obedience to Christ. Obey Jesus. Live as though he's Lord. That's the call of every Christian. And if you reject his lordship, whether it be in just a repetitive commitment to sin, so for instance, 1 Corinthians 5 says drunkenness. Man, if alcohol owns you instead of Jesus owning you, we should discipline you out, according to 1 Corinthians 5. The last one is the most common, I think, um, the most healthy way to leave membership at Crossway is to transfer to a good church. Okay, so I'm going to say it now because you're all here, and so I assume that means we have a relatively good relationship in terms of church life with you. Please, 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 when you transfer to another church, let us know. So, like, for instance, if you're a member of our church and the Lord uproots you and you, you get a new job in Phoenix, you've been there for three months, please find a good church. Commit to that church as quick as is healthy and wise to do so, and let us know. So it is a little challenging when people just disappear into the ether. We're like, where? What's gone? What's where? Where are the Smiths? No one knows where the Smiths are. You text them, it's crickets because they've changed their phone number. So you're emailing them, and they're like, we're still looking. So I, I mean, we have people two, three years out that finally answer that message with, oh, we just joined a church. That's too long. But I'm glad people joined. So make sure if you're leaving, uh, we don't often have a lot of people that are within our community and um, get hurt or sinned against or are struggling here for whatever reason and leave, but sometimes that happens. There are a handful of good churches in our, in our town that we, we, are, we would consider sister churches that we're always encouraged by people in our church family. If they, if they believe God is moving them to a different church, that they would go to one of those churches. And, and there are other churches that we would transfer membership to. Strangely enough, very few churches do membership. So, I mean, if you're just wondering, I think Laurel Glen will start doing membership a little bit better, but Grace Bible doesn't do membership. Sovereign Grace does. Living Grace, Grace Bible, I have an email about a year old that says it doesn't. So I asked for a transfer. like, well, we don't do that. So they don't do a transfer of membership. Maybe it's a better way for me to say that. Um, Sovereign Grace is really good. Sovereign Grace has been really helpful to me in making sure I do my membership work with your membership roles. I think Living Grace does a pretty good job. Those are churches that I know people. I think Disciples probably is really careful on their membership of transfer and not transfer, if you're just wondering. So, so shooting from the hip, that's kind of where those are the church. I think Roseville Bible would. I've, I've not 
I don't think I've ever gotten a transfer letter from them, but I, I'm thinking they would. I'm going to trust that you might know since you know the pastor there pretty well. So, no, there's, there's, there, there are good churches in our community. I just don't know all of them and how they do membership. So I was just mentioning the ones I'm kind of more familiar with, people have gone to, or I know that they've done membership, but they're, they're sweet churches. Colleen? Day-to-day lives of our people. Sorry for the, it, it's a weird blank. I'm not sure why it came out the way it not, out if that was my error or the printer just didn't like the blanks, but yes. Yes, Angel? Just let me know if you're planning on joining our church, and I'll just send them a letter and say, hey, you, you didn't, you just like walked away. Okay, well, well, I would like to know what church you're a member of. Um, when, when, when those membership packets go out, they'll ask something like that. So if you haven't joined our church, we have like a little five-page document that's like, you know, name, but also testimony. It helps you write out and think through the story of salvation and so that we know you're a genuine believer, but ask things like, you know, have you been baptized? Were you a member at another church in good standing? You know, because like, if you're running away from accountability, either we will take over that accountability and be like, okay, angel, we're going to deal with this sin. You're not able to come here and run away from discipline. Or we'll send you back. Be like, hey, no, no, no. We are not going to give you shelter so that you don't deal with your sin. I mean, so I've seen this happen in... in um, in the context even of our church, where a teenager who's rebelling from their parents runs away and lives with a friend so that they can keep doing their sin. Well, isn't that a shameful thing to do? So we don't want to be that church. We don't want to be the friend's church that you, you can come on in here and do wrong and we're not going to ask any questions and let you keep kind of doing something that displeases the Savior. Instead, we'd say, hey, if the best thing is for us to take over the, the role of accountability, we can help. If the best thing for us to do is send you back, so that you can restore and, and resolve the issues there, then we would want to do that before you joined. So sometimes it'd just be meeting with the leaders or the, whoever the offended parties are and saying, hey, you know, we've got this kind of issue we want to clean up before you come in. And what? Yeah, I don't know, I know. Um, generally speaking, most people, most people don't, but every once in a while it's like, ooh, you left, you left um, some broken relationships behind. Let's clean that up. So we've had that happen before. Any questions, comments, snide remarks? Okay, so at the end, for those of you who haven't joined, I think I went through it all pretty much. Or did I leave the last page empty? <gasps> I didn't do the last page, did I? I did. Oh, I didn't, I didn't do the little last blanks. So attend the membership class. Good for you. You've at least done today. Complete membership application and prepare for your testimony. Schedule a pastoral meeting through the church office. So contact Stacy Juarez and... Uh, we'll meet with you, go over your testimony, and then you share your testimony with the church, and you're baptized. So this afternoon at 4.30, Jackie and Paxton are both going to share their testimonies to be baptized, Lord willing. 